Welcome to episode 29 of the Roger Snipe Show. The Roger Snipes Show. Yes, guys, thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, episode 29, fast approaching that 30. <laughs> Yes, so um, first of all, I just wanted to say a big special thanks for those who, who have been leaving some great reviews. And I just want to have a look and find one where someone's left me a review. Okay, so here's one by someone called Retina, Retina P Lifestyle. Wow, wow, man. I just love what Roger Snipes is doing. He gives you so much info on the body and the science behind it and actual real reason on how the body works and why you must take heed on the things that is being said in the podcast. This is amazing, bro. Keep up the good work. Oh man, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Um, it's fantastic when you get reviews. It's It really is so... You know, if if you like the shows, then please, a little review. You don't even have to write that much. Just a couple of lines. If you like it, fantastic. If you want to hear something different, then please just say something. Five star would be amazing. <laughs> but just be honest. A nice review would be great. But just a review. Let me know what you want to hear or if you like it. All right. So the person today who... I am um, blessed to have a conversation with. <laughs> it was a pretty lengthy conversation. Um, he goes by the name of Marek Doyle, uh, who is a functional nutritional therapist. Now, I think you're going to like today's podcast. Now, <laughs> I couldn't say we followed the traditional script as we covered a vast array of topics. Um he's just so knowledgeable. I was like, okay, I've got something else I want to ask you. Um, his knowledge is so diverse. I felt it would basically be rude if I left any stone unturned. So just a few of the things which we covered were organic acids test, microbiome, um, metabolic dysfunction, adrenal fatigue, uh, tailoring your food choices and genetic testing yeah <laughs> and so much more i think this conversation could have reached possibly two hours very easily but we had to that was <laughs> this was pretty much the abbreviated version um anyways i hope you guys like it as much as i did let's get to it roger snipes show so marek how you doing my friend yeah i gotta say Doing all right. That's good, man. I think the weather today is about, I think, 18 degrees at the moment. Um, do you know what it is in, in your area? Well, I have recently found out after moving to uh, a little place called Higham in Kent. So it's halfway between Gravesend and Rochester. Recently found out that this is the hottest part of Great Britain. Oh, uh, seriously? Yeah, so that's a nice bonus. And to be fair, it's generally 
played out that way. I've really enjoyed the recent moments when, of course, we've got nothing else to talk about at the moment. <laughs> are obviously very much digging up weather chat when I'm catching up with pals. And it turns out there's been at least four or five occasions we've been having glorious sunshine. Yeah. And that, that's a victory. It is, it is. But where is it you live again? So in Kent. So in Kent. Uh, up until recently I was in London, in Brixton, and loved that. Oh, wow. London, Brixton, okay. Yeah, okay. one of the times that now we've actually got rosemary plants in our garden that I'm even chopping off sprigs and throwing into a meal. So that is a, that's surely that's the threshold of becoming an adult. <laughs> yeah, and that's beautiful. Rosemary, so that's, that's the moment <laughs> I arrived in this phase of life. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. My garden, I should have I should have left the grass in there. It was one of those where I, I don't like to cut the lawn, you know? I don't like to mow it and, you know, I'm like, oh, again. Especially as it becomes sunny, the grass grows super quick. No, so, so I was like, man, this I can't be doing this. So I decided to get some uh, slabs of concrete and put it down. And now it, it, it looks a bit, a bit industrial. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, rather than romantic. Yeah. <laughs> so, Marek, uh, as I understand about yourself, you're a, uh, a functional nutritional therapist, and um, you were featured on in the Daily Mail, uh, Sky Sports, and uh, Mary Claire, and Women's Health magazine. Yeah. And you spent the last 15 years building a, a model of personalized nutrition, um, based on a data of about 2,500 individuals, <laughs> from that what I understand. Like, uh, yeah, the information that uh, sums <laughs> things up. So, yeah, it's been an interesting time. And, uh, yeah, obviously, there's uh, there's been a number of moments that have really forced me in directions other than than what I was expecting, but uh, yeah, it's sometimes uh, sort of easy to sit here at this point and think, well, the conclusions that I've come to are so obvious, but there was times when they weren't, and it was the data and the, uh, the, the this huge array of information which really showed me that this was the case. But it was obviously moments in, in my own personal journey that forced me to confront that data in the first place. So, yeah, 15 years and a whole lot of uh, yeah, work with clients later, uh, here we are. That's amazing. So what brought you into becoming a nutritional you know, therapist, functional medicine practitioner? What, what brought you in that direction anyway? Did you start off... Uh, doing personal training or was you just more interested because there's always different angles which is around fitness which draws people in this direction sometimes they're like do you know what i want to be a bit more of an expert in a specific area because of maybe your own personal experience on stuff what's what's your journey there what what brought you into it well yeah i pretty much had a big decision to make when i was uh 20 years old and uh, I'd done a little bit of real jobs 
<laughs> in the real world, I'd even worked in an office. In, yeah, if we're allowed to say that word. Um, and uh, yeah, in short, I'd uh, worked in an office. I'd uh, set up a couple of businesses. Uh, some we, we we needn't go into their lack of success, um, but one was successful, and I'd uh, end up uh, actually buying a house. And then, uh, yeah, suddenly <laughs> become decidedly less successful. And uh, yeah, and I, I realized that, you know what, no matter what I do, I'm going to end up poor. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not going to have any funds to, to drown my sorrows or to, to go out and distract myself from the uh, situation. So I'm going to have to find something to do that truly interests me and I'm going to need to get my my uh <laughs> my joy from my work and that was obviously uh a, a realization that felt very true at the time but also left me with this huge dilemma because there wasn't much out there but I knew that the the appliance of science was always um this little inkling fire that I felt worth exploring and I, I must admit I never was interested at school and I, I cannot believe even now how they can take something so fascinating and mind-blowing and absorbing and make it so boring I know it I know <laughs> so yeah you know, I wish I listened because then I wouldn't need to learn now in <laughs> adult era about covalent bonding and the flow of electrons and protons and how that influences oxidant status and acidity and suddenly yeah membrane potentials and it, i could have saved a whole lot of uh, <laughs> with textbooks trying to get my head around these things i could have saved that time but obviously i couldn't because when i was 16 there were better things to do oh absolutely uh yeah here i was 20 years old i thought you know what? i've got to do what what engages me and the more i thought about the personal training and nutrition that is where well it, it was a done deal really once i'd absorbed what it could should might mean and uh well I'm happy with that decision 15 years on. That's awesome. That's awesome. So as a, a functional medicine practitioner or, or doctors, um, you probably focus a lot on restoring balance and uh, realigning dysfunctions or imbalances in, in the human body. Um, when you're making a, a personalized approach to nutrition, what are your typical steps when you're taking on a new client? Mm. Well, yeah, and I'm sure that my uh, almost checklist of considerations for people coming in may well be different to others. And it's not to say that this is the way to do it. Of course. It's the case that this is what I've found really helpful for me with the population that I work with. Um, and in in these more recent years is the case that almost all i do is with the more complex metabolic disorders the individuals that just don't seem to get well regardless of what they try so the reason i mention that is because the starting point normally 
is that I'll be sitting down with an individual, taking a case history, looking at their various symptom clusters and looking at their current well-being and see clues that the, the patterns offer. And of course, going through uh, what I hope to be a decent wad of, of tests and data. And I'm going through that. And some of the most useful information I'll have is all of the protocols that they've already trialed and haven't done anything, mm. um, which, yeah, it, it is quite relevant to our, our industry and our, our approach. Um, but specifically, I, I want to avoid that question of what's the right protocol for this person and instead ask the question, well, what is stopping this person from having a fair chance of responding because if they've previously trialed 17 protocols and they haven't responded to any of them i'm not confident that it's i'm going to be able to to pluck out uh, a magical 18th protocol and have that one work there's something that's currently stopping them from responding and that's my focus mm. what do i need to do and what obstacles do i need to help them remove so that they have a fair chance of responding that's awesome that's awesome so it's um it's it's like uh, not a case of uh, what does work but um when something is likely to work that's exactly it, and that, that's almost verbatim uh, the phrase I've used to, to break it down. It's not, is it good, or what's the best protocol for migraines? What's the, the most effective herb for liver detox? Or uh, how is the simplest way to deal with adrenal fatigue? It's when is something likely to work? Mm. I've um, heard a lot about um, organic acid acids tests. I'm not really too familiar on that. I've just kind of heard about it and I've always wondered to myself, what is that? So what are they and <laughs> what is the benefits of uh, doing that? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the organic acids test, there's a few versions of it um, and they'll vary very slightly based on the exact blend of markers that they're measuring. But... The organic acids tests are a snapshot of often 70 plus different markers that relate to metabolic activity around the body. So uh, I'll often uh, use the BioLab uh, organic acids test, which is actually analyzed in Great Plains Laboratory in America. And that provides 75 different markers, some of which will look at microbial compounds and metabolites of bacteria and yeast that shouldn't necessarily be in the gut. So we can start forming a, uh, a view on, on what's going on there in the gut. We can also see markers related to neurotransmitters, to mitochondrial activities, to antioxidant status, to our responses to particular food chemicals. We can look at nutrient markers like B12, folate, vitamin C, B6, and multiple others. So uh, there's various other glimpses that it gives us of what's going on in the body, but that's something that I actually ask every single incoming individual to do. Mm. 
our initial consultation, just because it always is going to give us a nice starting point. It's going to tell us, here's some things that definitely are a problem. Here's some things that definitely are not a problem. And that leaves us with a few things that might be. And that's where obviously further questioning, consideration, and potentially further testing is going to be the name of the game. That's awesome. So is there, is there a whole range of different types or, or, of organic acid tests or there's just one that covers everything? Yeah, so we're talking about sort of four or five different variables. That's the only difference between the various ones on the market. So there's a few labs that will, will offer the organic acids and they're all fantastically useful. Sounds incredible. I've come across one that I thought, well, well, that's missing the oxalate marker, so therefore I can't yield any uh, answers from it. Yes, there's loads that I can, but yes, the reason why um, I've stuck with using the one that I do currently use what? because there's the, these individual markers that I find useful that I haven't found on the others. That's cool, man. Um, what's what's a typical reason for um, like metabolic dysfunction in the body? Well. Um, that's going to be an interesting one because uh, there's just so many uh, reasons that could ultimately um, bring about dysfunction. And I think it's, it's obviously worth mentioning right at the top that the human body is incredibly mm. adaptive. Um, it's so fascinating that you know, we, we sit here um, quite satisfied as the the pinnacle of evolutionary achievement the human body um run by the most mysterious object in the universe the human brain um but we've also uh, got to recognize that we're not we're not really the best at anything physically we don't really um we don't outrun most animals we we, we don't have some of the, the tricks. We, we can't go into hibernation like certain bacterial species. No matter what we look at, no matter what particular uh, skill it is, we're normally nowhere near the top, but we are so incredibly adaptive. And we've got this capacity to maintain function in just a huge range of different environments. And that is, I think, is such a, is an interesting thing because the one thing that really stands out above and beyond our ability to tolerate these various changes in our environment and these various stresses that are placed upon us, well, is, is our willingness to push it to the limit until something breaks. And mm. yeah. It's true to say that we do have limits in terms of how little sleep we can get by on, how long we can survive or thrive on a calorific deficit, uh, how many days in a row we, we can pump out 16 hours of, of productive work, um, how long we can sit on unexpressed emotions that really become quite poisonous and not express them. There's just so many things um, that can actually add to our burden. And yet, did the body's nourished. It's just got these incredible abilities to adapt and maintain some sort of weird balance, allostasis 
it's a balance it's it's where we just take from one particular uh, metabolic requirement that isn't going to have any cost today just let's disinvest in the digestive process just for today let's disinvest in the energy availability for the prefrontal cortex and hey ho okay you get a bit of indigestion you feel a bit bloated and you're not as sharp you just can't quite remember those names and numbers it's just those signs that you're off par but hey you can cope you can function just fine and that maintained almost indefinitely provided there's nothing that impacts on the metabolic machinery that makes those uh, compensations possible and the biggest player in that is our adrenal response mm, mm. I find it so interesting as you were saying that I was I was kind of uh, metaphorically putting it together of um, almost like <laughs> borrowing funds which you are not paying back on time <laughs> we are living in our metabolic overdrafts most of us and it's amazing how if you run that system fine you can actually make it go so far for so long but then what happens if one day the machinery you're relying upon your line of credit as it were what if that gets cut off even temporarily, suddenly the entire system falls apart. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's fascinating when I look at the molecular function of the adrenal glands um, and how nutrient shortage or uh, disturbances in energy signaling, uh, dysregulated inflammation, there's a variety of things that can actually stop those cells or more accurately, the enzymes within those cells from doing the job that they should, meaning mm. that they can't produce the products that we need. And suddenly, this machinery that we've been deploying day after day, week after week, month after month, to compensate for the things that we kind of should be doing, suddenly that machinery malfunctions. And it feels then like, ah, my adrenal's broken. That's what's caused the problem. But that was only <laughs> hiding the problem. And suddenly, maybe we do need to take a look backwards to, well, why were they being asked to work overtime for so long? Um, and yeah, the other side of that question is, can we really expect somebody to magically feel better again? purely by bolstering that one area that was actually holding back a metabolic storm. Mm. Point, we've had a really important organ system actually fail to do its job, which then means that we're going to see masses of unregulated inflammation, which then means we're going to see alterations in energy signaling, alterations in activity of various zones of the brain, which then means we're going to see a totally altered response to our environment, which then means we're going to see masses of limbic activation, which is then going to see even more activation of that same adrenal response. And it's going to be in need of more activity from this system that's struggling to keep up not less and thus 
Yeah. As is always the case in people I work with, we've now got a self-perpetuating cycle. And just trying to reverse one bit of that without trying to understand the uh, ongoing contribution of other factors that have now really uh, been let out of the cage, as it were, mm-hmm. without trying to piece together all of the factors that have long been risk factors and are now contributing to this ongoing um, self-perpetuating cycle impacting stress, energy, inflammation. Well, without any attempts to break down those connections, you can probably guess how much success we're likely to see. So true. It's, uh, you know, the, the human body is such a, an amazing organic machine. And we don't have an instruction manual with how to deal with it. And, you know, when we go to school, we're not taught how to work it either. We're given some, I don't know, like even the, when you was talking about the teaching methods and just how it didn't work for you, I was exactly the same. I was like, man, I, I love this information. This is amazing. But the way you're delivering it is really not working for me. I'm really trying to understand, but it's so boring. That's just one side of it. But the body itself, it's so amazing. And I think that, you know, I'm starting to understand, I'm starting to use different tools to, um, to, to test myself and, you know, re- really having self inventory and understanding what things I need to work on. Um, and just understanding different markers. Like if I wake up and I'm feeling groggy, now I can check, let's say, my aura ring. Um, yeah. You know, all right, you know, what was my um, heart rate variability? What was my deep sleep? What was my, uh, my REM? Um, a, few, a few nights ago, um, yeah, my, my heart rate, no, sorry, my, my body temperature rose during the night and it, and it showed. So then, because it was really hot, it was about 27 degrees during the day and it was hot at night. Days ago, yeah. Yeah, and um, I think I, I had my, my, my duvet on as well. So I was roasting, you know, and that affected my sleep. And because it affected my sleep, it affected my day, you know. When, it, when I, was, I was trying to read some material and it just wasn't going anywhere, I found myself just going over and over the same material. I'm like, I swear I've read that already, but I don't know if I've read that already, but it sounds a bit familiar. <laughs> so I know what you mean. They're thinking, you know what? I need to get this done, but I can't because I'm not working today. Um, my brain isn't working today. And yeah, I've always found that there is nothing really that can be done once I reach a certain point there. Uh, other than that, Beyond that, I've got so much to do and so little capacity that I just have to lie down and nap for 20 minutes and then maybe give it a second go because I've tried so hard to fight that or to to, to, to really find a a way of crowbarring my brain into getting some level of function and... We need to understand that. It's important, you know, good sleep, and uh, the right nutrition as well. You know, it's like if I'm, I'll have days when 
I might want to have, uh, I call it sin food. So I'm not, I'm not eating it based on nutrition. <laughs> it's not based on nutritional value. So I have to understand that if I do eat it, then I might just end up with a mitochondrial hit. You yeah. know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake up, I'm going to feel groggy, and I have to think about mitigation measures. All right, what, <laughs> what supplements do I have that is going to help me through this? <laughs> this is the thing, and I... Actually, uh, I feel like it's very easy to become overly aware. And I, I, I want to be careful to try to balance in terms of, uh, yeah, I'm going to share my thoughts, but they don't necessarily apply to everybody because, so yeah, uh, last night I actually had a few drinks for the first time in quite a while and it was good. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that and uh, I'm equally simultaneously aware that that wasn't good for me physically. Mm. It was good for me. Um, and yeah, when it comes to calorific excesses, oh, I do love a good feast from time to time. And I can talk all day about my, um, you know, uh, the, the, the uh, very conscious uh, way in which I would consider how to mitigate electron leaks from the electron transport chain and the superoxide production and the potential impact on mitochondrial function and could that induce the mutations in mitochondrial DNA and over the course of time can I balance that out with autophagy and stop there from being apoptosis at an uncontrolled rate and then you think well actually why not have some good habits that mean that might, mitochondria can take that hit. And that over the coming weeks, all of the positive things that they will do, they'll tend to themselves. If I give them the basic ingredients to do so, avoid inflicting obstacles in them doing their pathway, I absolutely subscribe to the idea. Why don't we just make sure that our bodies are healthy enough to take the odd hit mm. and enjoy that hit? I think a lot of people focus probably more on taking the hit than building up a resilience to taking the hit. It's not, you know, it's not a focus of, all right, what is this, what is this machine capable of? Yes. You know, they're just like, mm, that looks good. Let me go for it <laughs> rather than. Well, exactly. Because it is definitely the case that, I mean, I, I've spoken with, uh, I do remember one particular friend um, and she had found a method that allowed her to feel good every day and provided she only ate organic food um, that had a very specific carb fat protein ratio and provided she always went to bed at the exactly same time and provided she always avoided sugar, provided she never drank alcohol and provided she followed these and many other rules, she felt good every day and therefore... Um, had concluded that she had found the secret to good health. And uh, we had a moderately heated debate uh, on one occasion. That, and I said that actually, I'm going to put forward the opposite opinion that that actually isn't health. Health is the ability to feel good without having to make undue compromises and compensations. Um, yeah, if your house needs scaffolding, 
to stay up, then there's probably something wrong with the foundation. So why not let's work on the foundations and make sure that you needn't worry about putting up scaffolding every time a strong wind comes through. Mm, that's really interesting. I wouldn't, yeah, yeah. I, w I guess I wouldn't, even myself, I wouldn't have thought of it that way. If, if a person is doing something and they feel great for it every day, then would it be seen as a compromise if they are happy doing it? Uh, you, I think you just got straight to the crux of the matter. If you're happy, that's not really a compromise. Mm. If what you're doing is directly standing in the way of true happiness, and I would be keen to separate true happiness from a brief relief of guilt, which is two very different things. <laughs> um, but yeah, if what you're doing contributes to your happiness every day, then that's just brilliant. Um, eating healthy food that happens to be delicious and doesn't cause you bloating or uh, undue gas. Wonderful. Nothing bad about that. Uh, uh, there's no uh, means through which I would look and think, well, you need to eat good food every day. That's all right. No, I'm talking about having to avoid um, various uh, behaviors, activities, events that can add to the, the rich experience of being a happy human. If that is where, if you are limited and those limitations are impacting on your happiness, your ability to take that, that deep contentment, then that's where I'd look at. And, and I want to be keen to, to avoid being dogmatic. Uh, I want to be keen to stress that for some people, a compromise has to be struck because as somebody who has had two spells in my life of, of outright metabolic chaos, which has just brought my energy levels, concentrations, brain function, and everything else goes with it, just brought it to a crashing halt. At that stage, well, it's necessary to make those compromises. Uh, those are times when, yeah, in order to you get back to where I want to be. I have to say, no, I have to um, make some measured decisions because the cost of letting loose actually is going to be disproportionate. Um, but of course, that was never the end game. That was a temporary phase. Obviously, when I say temporary, it can feel like it's lasting an awfully long time, that, that journey of recovery. Mm. Um, yeah, of course, once... Uh, we, we are back at a, a point where we can feel good without having to um, yeah, take 22 supplements a day, without mm -hmm. having to ensure that we have a nap of a particular length at this particular time and ensure that we do not have any sort of uh, stimulation exposure or interactions at these particular times before bed and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. That's hopefully a reasonable summary of, of what I feel is a helpful way to look at these things. What's your thoughts on um, supplementation? Now, there's, there's many people who suggest that, not just supplements for training, let's forget that for a second, but just general supplements, wake up in the morning, popping all of these pills. There are certain people who truly believe that you need supplements because there's a strong belief that much of the soil which we have has been depleted over the years and we can't solely 
rely on food for our nutrition? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's a fascinating in question in, in the era in which we live, because as you say, there's actually a very coherent uh, case for the need for supplements, given the change in soil degradation, the various other processes that impact on the nutrient density of our foods. But equally, there's a coherent case for that idea of, well, isn't that an unnatural step? Because it is true, humans have been around for what, approximately 400,000 years, and there hasn't ever been a sustained period of time where we've popped pills in order to, to maintain health. But uh, I would always look at this from a, a circumstance of which of these viewpoints helps us get the results and which is dogmatic. Uh, because whilst I do highly resonate with the idea behind healing with whole foods, eating in a natural way. Well, humans have never done this, so let's actually uh, conform to the, let's conform to, to the, the, the layout that nature has bequeathed us. Let's actually use that as our template. But we must also acknowledge a few key facts. The way we live now is not the same as the way we lived then. And anybody who's inspired by this primal living paleo uh, model, I think there's so much value in that. But we also need to acknowledge we don't live that way. Mm -hmm. We are not in wooden shelters exposed to the elements and the cold. Our environment is dramatically different. Our food is dramatically different. Our working patterns and the stress that we are under and the energetic burden that we place on our uh, various structures of our body is different to where it was. So if we're gonna ask more of our body, and that means working more than four hours a day, if we look at the patterns that have naturally evolved in various different uh, tribal populations that are cut off from what we would call civilization if we're going to use all of those independent uh working models that have evolved without any knowledge of one another and all meet this exceptionally uh, similar model if we're going to uh work twice as hard as we would uh, envisage the the uh, previous um brand of humans worked mm. And we're going to do so on soil that has been depleted and food that is subject to pesticide use, which inhibits mineral uptake and then is pick ripe and uh, gas ripened in shipping and then is subject to various other food processing methods that aren't necessarily the same as what we would have used traditionally. All these various factors are going to mean we're asking our bodies to do more with less. And in that sense, I would look not just at the idea of, well, do, do we need to plug this gap? But also the most valuable question of all, do people who use good supplements get better results than those who don't? And yeah, they do. And, and I feel like um, 
that's that's absolutely not this green light to just start loading our stomachs with any and every tablet that we like the sound of. Um, there is certainly a important pattern for me to share that individuals taking a shed load of supplements very rarely get progress. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, often it's not actually due to the level of supplements it's it's, it's a correlation uh, with their approach to solving the issue of mm. like ill health um but yes i definitely use supplements i want to make sure that each and every one has justified its place within a protocol i want to make sure that it has a metric that i can connect it to to gauge whether it's a working well and b is it still needed weeks or months later mm. um because the thing with supplements in theory they are just not use useful or needed in theory right. but there's lots of conditions in which they are and it just so happens most of us uh, our lives exist within conditions that call for a bit of extra help yeah yeah i find it interesting like if Mm, if I've been training excessively and um, I might feel a bit just mentally tired and even my response to stuff is um, I feel a bit abrupt with my behavior towards it. So I feel a bit aggressive in nature. I might think, do you know what? Let me... Let me uptake my magnesium a little. I feel as though that's probably taken a hit somewhere. Um, if I eat certain fish, um, I might think, all right, let me have some chlorella um, during this time. So I try to tailor my approach accordingly. But I think it's going to vary per person. And I think it's, a lot of people have no idea of how to, if they're going to take supplements, um, it's not just a case of, oh, this person's taken it. Let me try it. That sounds like a great idea. You need to really look at what is your current nutrition anyway? What are you eating? And I think there's so much of a, uh, so, so much of a spectrum to look at in terms of like their lifestyle and um, yeah, looking like at root causes, if they've got certain inflammations in the body, maybe a certain supplement could potentially make it worse, even if it is an amazing supplement. So um, what's, what's your thoughts on that? What would be your approach in like, if, if you know someone's taking a great supplement, mm -hmm. but um, I don't know, they might need to go through a certain amount of stages first before they can take that. It's almost like the microbiome. Um, you're, if, if, you, if you're having something which is deemed as a superfood, <laughs> it might not be so super for you. No, and I, I really think it's an important thing to consider, um, which is ultimately personalization, choosing interventions and support based on our needs and also on our tolerance and superfoods is such a, a wonderful uh, area to, to break down because I'll often see 
um, people coming to me and they say, I don't understand it. I know I've got adrenal issues, but whenever I take ashwagandha, it makes me super wired. Uh, what's wrong with me? And the thing is, that's almost half of the people that I work with will notice bad responses to adaptogenic herbs like ashwagandha or ginseng or maca roots and uh, the, the various other uh, herbs that exist in, in that sphere. And equally, um, I'll, I'll see individuals with chronic inflammation who take the, these potent anti-inflammatory, curcumin, great example, um, resveratrol, and, and they're billed uh, very heavily as um, yeah, antioxidants. Uh, and, and I think what's fascinating about that and the fact that so many individuals that I work with don't get on well with them, we actually get more inflammation. I, I think it does speak heavily as to the, the lack of focus within my profession on mechanisms. It's, it's definitely fair to say that most individuals who take curcumin or, or milk thistle or green tea or resveratrol or all of these you know, superfoods, these potent antioxidants, most human beings are going to get a good antioxidant response from them. But for those that uh, may well be uh, analysing my choice of words carefully, <laughs> they get an antioxidant response from them. They are not antioxidants. They actually have quite an important poisoning effect. And in fact, this is common for almost every single plant chemical. Yeah. It's poison, but it's a poison that A, has a beneficial impact on particular pathways in our body, and B, for which are uh, detoxification systems have evolved to handle and process and what that means is that for most people providing the detox systems are working well well they handle any cost that would otherwise be associated with that supplement they handle it with with with, with casual abandon and that's just wonderful and thus they are then free to benefit from the uh, response on the pathway in question um, but yeah, let's get, let's get back to uh, mechanisms. Okay, so how do milk thistle, curcumin, green tea, resveratrol work? Well, they actually insult our cells. They insult our cells and cause oxidative damage in a very specific way, a specific way that teases our antioxidant response into a disproportionately effective uh, expression. It's a bit like exercise. Exercise isn't good for us. Exercise damages our body, but it's our response to exercise that is good for us. It's, uh, it's the response to that damage that releases A, the brain hormones and brain chemicals that make us feel good, that actually induces changes in the mitochondria so that they become more capable of dealing with similar loads in the future that influences transcription factors localized hormones etc that allow the muscles to start changing their capacity so again they can now do what they couldn't do uh three workouts ago don't know if you ever noticed that um <laughs> but um the 
the, the interesting thing is that we're seeing the same thing on a chemical level. There's more to it than just one pathway, but this centers on the NRF2 response, which can broadly be called the, the cell's antioxidant response or the, the cellular protective response. And essentially these chemicals contained in these superfoods, yes, there's nuances, yes, there's slight differences, but the one thing that binds them is they all offer a little dose of uh, insult to the cell. Right. And that goads this NRF2 response to sense that and respond in a disproportionate manner. Thus, we get an increase in the activity of our antioxidant response, which can benefit us across a wide range of different health conditions or circumstances, aims. So, yeah, so for most people, they are a fantastic tool. But for people who maybe are unable to mount a strong NRF2 response, or for people whose NRF2 response is already pushed to the maximum, mm. agitating it further is just going to leave them with cellular agitation, AKA inflammation. And they might feel headaches, they might feel weird, rawness, nausea, something's not right in the gut. Maybe their skin starts to look a bit off color, blotchy, dry. But of course, they can go online, report this back to their forum buddies who congratulate <laughs> them because, well, this is a great sign. It must be detox. <laughs> That's quite amazing. Like, as, as you're saying that, it, it kind of made me think of um, I guess we don't really think of certain things as being a, as a poison. Mm. We just think, oh, we're just getting rid of the bad stuff. It's all good. And it almost made me think of, uh, you know, a vaccination. You have a vaccination. The whole idea is we, you know, we inject a little bit of poison in for our body to then respond and build up antibodies. Um, I recently listened to an audio book. I haven't gone through all of it, but it's uh, by um, Dr. Paul Saladino. Okay, yeah, very smart guy. Oh my God, super intelligent. Isn't so it to hear from people who've thought things through? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, controversy, like, or controversy, he doesn't, he doesn't care. Like, he's got his own opinion and he's going completely against the grain, but he, has he he's got facts you know he, he'll he'll put a lot of facts there and it's like you know he, you've seen him on on talk shows and people like are, are you seriously telling me that you are just eating meat you know completely against like where the world is going like everyone's like, oh vegan that to the point where they're putting it in their bio like oh i'm vegan but the thing is when they Thing to put in your dietary preferences uh, I know right part of your identity it's weird like because before that they wouldn't have said uh, you know I'm an omnivore or uh, <laughs> you know what I mean like no one says that like who cares like you've chosen that you don't want to eat meat anymore or any kind of meat-based products but one of the interesting things he was saying in his audiobook was about plant poisons like he was talking about all these toxins and and then he was you know justifying how meats and a lot of organ meats are incredible mm -hmm. and this 
this is all you need. You don't need to go through, um, don't eat to eat. All these things which is suggested as antioxidants and and he keeps talking about mentioning all these poisons and I'm like, oh my God, it made me think I'm eating so much poison every day. <laughs> I almost like... If your processes, those enzymatic activity, if, if that's at a level that not only handles those so-called plant poisons, but also, for example, in the case of polyphenols, yeah. actually uh, uh, allows for a positive outcome, then that's just great. And I think that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very keen to, to make sure I'm clear that most people benefit from consuming these plant poisons because these plant poisons are handled in such a way that it generates a great outcome. But when we become compromised metabolically, when there's obstacles that are blocking those processes from occurring the way that they should, well, suddenly we do need to ask that question, am I benefiting from this? Or, or more accurately, how much of these compounds can I consume without it starting to contribute to a negative effect? Mm. And it's very interesting when you actually start undertaking uh, tests, as in real tests, not, not lab tests, real tests of let's eat a certain way for a week, Let's eat a different way a week after. Let's use the information we've got in the tests and the case history and the various analysis of what's going on right now and what clues can we extract from the current situation. Let's use all that to determine, well, based on the evidence we have, what's likely to be a suitable uh, yeah, dietary intake for this given individual. And of course, mm. I'm going to lean on the last hundred times I went through this process, um, I'm not gonna assume that that automatically applies to the person in front of me, but certainly it contributes to the, the likelihood of what's going to be useful for them. But yes, we've got to see how do they get on here and now with this level of polyphenol salicylates or with lectins or with oxalates. Um, and then let's just consider uh, and make sure that we check in in a couple of months' time. Because with every major shift in metabolic activity, in the energy signaling, in the inflammatory regulation, and so on and so forth, with every major shift that we get along the way in these journeys, with that comes improved capacity. We're just going to take a short break. And return right back. Wouldn't it be cool if you could break down fat and provide yourself energy without it having to be a fat-burning stimulant? Well, Capex by Bioptimizers does exactly that. It breaks down fats into fatty acids, L-carnitine transports the fatty acids into the mitochondria, and Innerslim burns the fatty acids in the mitochondria. Assisting with growing a bigger mitochondria, you have CoQ10-7-Keto-DHEA, not forgetting Astrozyme. Taking Capex in the morning will provide a clean energy throughout the day. If you take it during a mealtime, then you will get official bowel movements, but more specifically, when you're on a ketogenic diet and intermittent fast. 
Although bioptimizers do not make any fat burning claims, you can find that your ability to burn fat will be increased between 10 to 15%, especially considering it has fat digesting enzymes too. Just visit bioptimizers.com and use coupon code SNIPES10 for 10% off. We are now going to return right back to the podcast. Thank you. Improved activity in, in certain pathways. And of course, that can actually sometimes expose uh, shortages, expose vulnerabilities that previously weren't subject to any uh, loading. They, they were because um, stage one or two of a pathway was shut down. We don't even get to see if there's enough uh, CoQ10 uh, or, or copper to run stage five or six. So yes, so sometimes we move on and we actually have to temporarily adjust by compensating for, for a lack of certain something or a lack of activity. But a lot of the time, yeah, we're, most of the time, we're looking at moving with the times in the early stages. Maybe that's where we do need to take unnatural steps to, uh, and, and, and what feels like extreme steps to compensate for a lowered capacity in a variety of different pathways. But with each and every milestone, with each and every um, phase shift, suddenly, yeah, we can bring in more of these foods that were previously problematic, and, and that's just great. So, mm. so yeah, it's, it obviously gets more complex whenever we start to look at you know, when, who, uh, why, and look at, well, we know the mechanisms, but how are they playing out in this individual in this particular time? But it's such a vital process. Otherwise, we end up being dogmatic and deciding that plant foods are good or plant foods are bad. And neither can be an appropriate way to, to work with any given human being. Mm. What's your thoughts on um, genetic testing to see what your response is to certain lifestyles i mean you've got different types of genetic tests mm -hmm. um um even even the uh the chronotype as well um the epigenetics like what's what's your thoughts on those type of tests to you know, determine your way forward for a lifestyle yeah and i think that like many things they're a really nice tool to have and uh, actually, whenever um, somebody inquires to uh, get involved to start working with me, I'll send them a uh, fairly substantial new starter guide. And in that, it will explain not only how I do things, but also why I ask them to do the organic acids test. And also uh, tell them how I would prefer to have genetic information also. For example, 23andMe does allow us to come away with a really nice bunch of clues. Um, I don't think it's vital. There's certain tests that just make such a, a huge difference to the, the, the initial trajectory of someone's journey. Um, and without which I'm at sea, because suddenly I can see where the problem is playing out in, in their, their metabolism, but I can't see why. 
how could I tell the difference between a lack of carnitine or a lack of B2 when it comes to someone's mitochondrial performance? I can't see that. I do need information for that. Um, but yeah, the genetic data, it's unquestionably more useful to have it than not. Um, and sometimes it's actually really useful to help communicate to an individual why eating liver might be helpful for them. Let's take one particular mutation, the BCO1 uh, gene. This is a, a gene which uh, expresses the enzyme that converts beta carotenes from food, most famously carrots, but also plenty of other vegetables contain beta carotene. Um, and this enzyme converts that beta carotene into retinol, which is real vitamin A. So we'll just zoom out temporarily to point out that regardless of what we sometimes hear, beta carotene is not vitamin A. <laughs> a lot of people do think that. Vitamin A. Um, and so vitamin A, really important for the integrity of membrane tissue, so gut lining, mitochondrial membrane, and just between those two, if they're not working well you're up against it from day one. Uh, also plays a huge role in immune uh, competence and tolerance, so an immunobalancing uh, contribution there. And again, from, from that moment onwards, well, what uh, chronic issues don't have some sort of basis in inflammation? Um, so yeah, it, it can regulate steroid hormones, it can regulate a whole other range of different functions in the body. So mm. for any particular nutrient, how important it is. But yeah, takeaway is that vitamin A in retinol form is, is vital. Now, let's say you have this uh, double mutation at the BCO1, which I believe from the, the stats that I recently pulled up was 40% of the population have that. So it's a massive amount. Yeah. I know I'm in that group. I have that mutation. And what that means is that I can never expect to maintain good vitamin A status unless I eat vitamin A in the diet. Um, of course, I'll be able to salvage a reasonable amount. Um, but there's a dramatic drop in the amount of retinol I'll be able to synthesize from, bio, uh, from, from beta carotenes. So genetically, that can really limit somebody. Um, obviously vitally important when it comes to, well, what if you did want to go down the route of a plant-based diet? Well, it's not to say thou shalt not do it, obviously there's a lot of considerations, a lot of which involve emotive conversations and tribalism. Uh, but this is just one example of you categorically cannot produce the vitamin A from food. And it's just fascinating that if 40% of the population can't do that, well, clearly it didn't limit us. And it didn't limit us because we always ate our liver. Mm. It's a great source of vitamin A in the diet. And of course, there's a tiny bit in eggs, a tiny bit in fish. But yeah, it's going to have to be liver if you want a reliable and rich uh, delivery of, of real vitamin A. So of course, whilst populations ate that on a regular basis, good, cheap, nutritious meat, it doesn't matter. But now that we don't, suddenly it's a really big deal. And it's especially so when, um, yeah, we, we, uh, we start looking at altering our diet further 
um, and taking away those few sources of even moderate amounts. That's really interesting. I'm thinking about it now. I, I actually take a, a, a liver supplement mm-hmm. um, from a company called Hunter, Hunter and Gather. I don't know if you've heard of them. I have. Sounds like a good name. Yeah, yeah, really good, really good. I'll I'll, I'll link it in the notes. Right. Um, I I ca- categorically hate the taste of liver. I think it tastes vile, and I think I've had childhood trauma trying to eat it when my dad was forcing me, mm-hmm. and I vomited. And I think from that moment on, I just couldn't do it. You know, if I smell it, I'm like, oh. Some circumstances, it's only to be expected that liver won't ever really be something you look forward to. No, no. So for those who are not fans of liver, mm-hmm. and um, let's say they have this, this, this gene mutation as well, what's, what, would, what would your answer be to that? Well, I think that... Yeah, there's there's the purest answer, which will be learn to love it, <laughs> um, because it is true to say that there's there's Plan Bs around this, um, such as using cod liver oil, great source of natural vitamin A, comes in a capsule form or oil form. It's even if the taste in oil form is unpleasant. Well, it's, it's gone and down in a matter of seconds. Um, and then, yeah, that's going to be a very reliable and entirely legitimate source of vitamin A. Is there any amount of uh, EPA and DHA uh, measurement? Um, so typically, if you were to take a gram of cod liver oil, you'd expect 200 and something milligrams to be uh, in the form of EPA, EPA DHA. Oh, okay. So actually broadly similar to fish oil. The difference being that now you're getting some vitamin A as well. So yeah, that is um, a very easy option to get the vitamin A. The only downside is that the the liver doesn't just provide the uh, the vitamin A. It's also a great source of zinc and copper and iron. It's also going to provide carnitine, carnosine, various other component uh, b12 b vitamins things that you won't find in those quantities in other foods and i know that there's an article on chris cress's website which actually has a lovely table showing a breakdown of various nutrients in liver and then comparing it to uh so berries or i think apple and then and it's amazing to see um yeah how it compares and that's just over those particular nutrients but yeah when you're looking at the amino acids the the contribution uh, of methylation factors so on and so forth and they actually there's so much more to these foods than just the amount of the essential nutrients that they contain mm-hmm. um so so that's why i would always prefer plan a right yeah but obviously we do need to recognize that for some people yeah that's going to bring about more um more negatives than than it offers various positives and so just compensating in the diet and making sure that there is a delivery of key nutrients coming from other reliable sources again in in compensation in a way that's pain-free well 80 20 rule works for most people 
Uh, it's only if that's not working that we then need to then consider, um, okay, this next best didn't quite hit the mark. Let's mm -hmm. take that away. And yeah, yeah the, the liver supplementation, the desiccated liver tablets. Well, yeah. here, here lies in an interesting option too. Mm. I'll definitely want to try liver again. I do. What's your thoughts on recipes? Um, yeah, yeah. Bombs are an interesting one where you basically make your own burgers from a combination of minced meat and uh, then self-minced liver. Ah. And then, uh, yeah, blend it all together, um, put it into a patty. And actually, I've found them really quite good. That's uh, brilliant. Taste. Um, different to burgers, they've got a little something extra about them. But yeah, that's a way that people can actually dip their toe into water because you needn't do it 50-50. Mm. You can start with 20-80. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you get going in the shallow waters first before diving <laughs> in at the deep end. I like it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to give that a go. So you'd mentioned earlier about, um, well, just briefly, as you was talking about a few things, you'd mentioned about um, lectins and oxalates. And there's even a book, I think it's called The Plant, Plant Paradox. Paradox, Stephen Gundry, yeah. Stephen Gundry. And wow, made, it just made me throw my hands up in the air. Like, oh my, really? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> you know, I'm trying it to is a perfect example, isn't it? Because I do feel like off. I sense that exact emotion in, in individuals I'm working with. Perhaps they have really been around the block for many, many years seeking out answers. They spent thousands of pounds on consultations, travel to those consultations, tests, supplements, special diets, and it's got them zip. And they are at the point for obvious reasons that they're just bored of this rigmarole of cutting out this, trying that. And then I feel somewhat like the, uh, the individual that's turned up unwelcome at this party to say, I'm, I'm sorry, but all of your signs and symptoms are screaming lectins and yeah, that then leads on to the conversation of, well, if lectins are found in high quantities in all grains and all nightshades and all nuts and seeds and all legumes and all conventional dairy, then what the hell am I going to eat? <laughs> and, and of course, it's a really relevant question and it can be done on a carbohydrate-based diet, but it's normally a lot easier to transition to a ketogenic diet uh, in order to, to achieve that. But yeah, I totally get it when people think, oh, come on, I've tried everything <laughs> and now you want me to trial that? But luckily, the, the conversation we have three weeks in normally justifies that uh, brief fleeting level of discomfort <laughs> oh man that's fascinating um i'm gonna say so um if um a person has <clears throat> issues with their well how would a person know if their enzymes are not like firing up properly in their body um are, are there different tests for that 
yeah, I mean, one of the perfect examples, we'll, we'll stick with the, one of the things that I, I mentioned previously. So, for example, the adrenals. Um, so one of the easiest, uh, most convenient tests to take is the adrenal stress profile. So it will typically set you back 70 to 80 quid. And that will see you provide four saliva samples over the course of a single day. So you can very easily do that without even leaving your home. You freeze them overnight, you send them in the post, and a week later, I get an email with your results, and it will track your cortisol levels over the course of a day. And so uh, it's really interesting to have those four figures because the adrenals are a diurnal organ they're one of the few systems in the body that work on this 24-hour rhythm where their activity and their output should be high in the morning and should be low at night time so getting a, a measure of what's going on there across the day is a really useful thing rather than trying to estimate that from a single one-off measurement now once we've got those measures, what we're seeing there is the net sum of the enzymatic activity. Your adrenal cortex cells, um, specific cells that are designed to produce cortisol, because there's, there's various different types of cells within your adrenal cortex. But those designed to produce cortisol, well, whenever they get this signal to go to work, which is delivered from your hypothalamic pituitary uh, level down to the cortex through stimulation in the form of a chemical called adrenocorticotropin hormone. Now, when that stimulation arrives at those cells, well, their job is to induce activity in those enzymes. And generally speaking, that's exactly what happens. And multiple enzymes take this base substance, cholesterol, form it into pregnenolone, and then another enzyme turns it into progesterone, and then another three enzymes do their bit, and before you know it, you've got cortisol. And that's just great. Cortisol can now transmit through the bloodstream and arrive back at the hypothalamus where it has a thoroughly potent and reliable calming effect. So this is why when people call cortisol the stress hormone, it's yeah. sometimes a bit misleading because much better uh, characterized as the coping with stress hormone. Uh, but it will have these hugely important impacts in the hypothalamus, calming the system from the top down, but equally impacts on immune cells, both in readying certain cells for action and in regards to dampening down activity at appropriate times. So it's not purely just an anti-inflammatory, but it's just absolutely vital and often rate limiting for inflammatory control. Beyond that, it coordinates an appropriate response at various hormone receptors so that suddenly your testosterone doesn't have the impact that it previously did, which is good in evolutionary terms. We don't want these testosterone-induced behaviors to suddenly compromise what your body wants to do right now. The fact it's activating the adrenals is a sign that it needs to induce activity in the survival machinery to cope with threats and demands and consequently it's a very handy thing to change activity in other areas of the body that would otherwise distract us 
from this primary purpose of staying alive. Kind of important. So, so, yeah, so cortisol does a whole lot uh, in these situations and it's going to be missed when it's insufficient. Now, what's interesting is sometimes we can have a, a situation where those enzymes themselves simply don't have the capacity or are limited in their activity. And consequently, we just don't produce good baseline cortisol levels. Equally, and much more commonly, we actually have such a demand for that cortisol. Our, our, our limbic system, of which the hypothalamus is a part, it detects, it assumes, uh, it perceives that there's such a high need for a stress response in order to meet the demands and be appropriately ready to meet this upcoming threat and maintain our survival. It perceives that there's such a need and it won't be satisfied with anything less than high cortisol. It's gonna need a lot more resources to cope with what it estimates is upcoming. Mm -hmm. These threats aren't coming, but this prehistoric wiring within our limbic system has associated certain sensory information, physical sensations arriving in that area of the brain, it's interpreted them as a clear sign of immediate upcoming danger. And it changes the body's physiology in order to meet that, or should I say, it tries to. So what if this, this, this uh, response is in the midst of high deployment and your adrenal cells just can't do the overtime that you're asking of them. They're okay and under normal circumstances. They're okay for, for baseline activity, but they don't have those reserves to just double their output on the whim of your limbic system and the hypothalamus that generates these hormonal signals. Well, in those circumstances, you will start to see this range of circums, this range of symptoms that I get to see all the time, as in this constant edginess. You find sounds make you flinch and jump in a way that that was never the case before. You find that you're a bit rattier with people if you go several hours without eating well. Let's hope no one gets between you and the fridge because otherwise they're in trouble. Now equally, we're seeing really irregular energy levels. There's this common pattern of drop off in energy in the afternoon, but then suddenly there's a second wind in the evening. For the first time all day, you can actually think clearly, do things that you've been trying to just irk out without success leading up to that. But equally, cortisol's roles on regulating blood pressure, uh, well, they're not doing their usual thing and suddenly there's, there's low blood pressure, dizziness upon standing, there's craving salt and salty foods. Um, mm. Suddenly any stresses don't actually induce the same sort of response as usual. Resilience is gone and exercise may well shake us and wreck our sleep. Coffee leaves us wired. I mean, there's a whole number of symptoms that I'm used to seeing here, but at those uh, situations, that's where I'm gonna say, let's test your adrenal stress profile. 
let's also measure your heart rate variability, which can be done using the aura ring, such as the one you've got, or even just using an app on the phone. I mean, there's double blind research that demonstrates that these apps, they're not quite as good, but they are absolutely good enough to give us the information that we need. And yeah, in doing so, we now get a really useful and objective measure, not only of how much stimulation will be sent to the adrenals, how much work they're being asked to do, but also how much work are they actually doing in response to that stimulation. So we can now take those two vital bits of information. We can look at their daily uh, situation, stress load, symptoms, and suddenly we've got a really detailed picture and one that actually allows us to identify levers that we can pull, levers we can use to generate the exact outcome that we want, which let's be honest, is a really simple thing. We want them to feel a whole lot better. And, and often that will relate to a bit of scaffolding, supporting the adrenal function, compensating for that, but equally undertaking further investigations as to A, why is there excessive stimulation? In other words, we're looking at the various physiological and psychological factors that could influence activation of the limbic system, but also looking at well, what's the heme production? Heme is a hugely vital protein for moving oxygen and hence has a role in hemoglobin, but also in liver enzymes and adrenal enzymes and various other enzymes of the body. What if the supply of that is impacted? What if there's influences on B1 status, which means that this individual cannot maintain good NADPH levels, a vital factor to drive enzymatic activity in the adrenal glands. What if there's uh, stress in these enzyme-making organelles of the cells, the endoplasmic reticulum, uh, and this might relate to poor methylation and high homocysteine. It might relate to poor mitochondrial function and a subsequent dysregulation of, of calcium levels in the cell. Maybe these enzymes are limited by inflammation and nitric oxide alters their response to the stimulation they're receiving from above. So in short, um, we're looking at A, taking the steps to assess their physiological function as it currently stands, considering where the obstacles are, in uh, that process and what for them is going to be necessary to allow optimal function to resume. Mm. Whilst we're doing that, we'll probably look at giving them some compensation so that well, not only do they feel better, but equally we can actually shift them out of this self-perpetuating cycle where their, their physiological capacity leaves their brain out of step and thus obligated into masses of stress responses and therefore placing more load on the same physiological structures that can't keep pace and yeah that never-ending loop continues so we're breaking that cycle and also ensuring that it needn't ever kick in again so what is the type of um 
test you were saying would be good for them to do? So, yeah, the two tests that I mentioned, one is a lab test, the adrenal stress profile. Very easily taken at home, those four salivary tests, and it should only sit about 70 to 80 quid. So some people that might be quite a lot. Well, of course. Um, I think, obviously, my perspectives are naturally different given the range of all these testing and how some, which are very, very useful, but just incredibly expensive often spilling into hundreds of pounds um and equally yes my perspective is different because on a daily basis now for the last 15 years i have seen evidence of the costs of not having this information um the costs of bumbling along in a state where you can just about discharge your daily duties as worker, as friend, as as partner, as parent, as child. You, you, you can just about get by, but a huge cost to your options to then do anything else. Your resources are used up on, on just getting by. So... Yeah, the brain fog within the ongoing state often costs people a lot of money. The, the amount of parking tickets I got <laughs> 2012 or 2014, I thought, fuck, if I just, how did I forget to pay my parking? But I had brain fog. Um, it was expensive. <laughs> and, um, and of course, it, it's so easy to fall into that trap. Oh, you know what? I missed that opportunity to solve that problem. And now I've, I've ended up with this cost. Uh, I meant to actually install that eight pound unit underneath the bath to test for leaks, but I didn't. And two years later, now it's cost me 600 quid to deal with the modern remediation. Uh, it, it's very easy to then end up continually chasing your tail and you've got no money left over to actually put down on the table to solve the situation. So yes, I absolutely recognize where you're coming from with that. Mm. Yeah, we're often asking people to spend a lot of money. Yeah, um, I, I would like to get an idea or your thoughts on what would be the best tests to choose and perhaps some companies which you would suggest as well. Um, but before we get to that, I want to get your, your views on the microbiome, what your thoughts are on the microbiome and um, you know, maybe even like uh, probiotics and prebiotics, um, which ones are useful, which ones are not, um, and what the role of the microbiome has on the body, you know, the whole economy. Is it as important as it is suggested? Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that's a great place to start because it's such an easy question to answer. Definitely. The microbiome is just... It's, it's, so, it's so difficult to um, characterize how important it truly is, purely because it is that big of a deal. Um, I remember reading a, a paper which I thought really put it into perspective as to how, um, yes, we have a substantial difference in genes between all of us, um, but how the difference in the microbial genes that exist in our guts have substantially more influence on the genetic expression of those uh, thousands of genes in our body 
um, than simply their uh, the, our own DNA. So this is the perfect example of epigenetics, how our environment actually induces or certain genes and silences others. Um, and I'm always conscious to bear in mind the fact that, well, we as species are successful in surviving and procreating and continuing to exist because we do so well in adapting to our environments. The majority of environmental signals are not actually coming from the environment outside this, um, this layer uh, of organism we, we call our skin. Much more of, of our physical contact with our environment occurs in the gut, in the GI tract. Because the GI tract is a tube of the outside environment that happens to run through our bodies. And obviously we, we exploit that to extract nutrients and actually eliminate a lot of waste products. So there's so many more cells that are touching that front line that is laden with bacteria than there is cells that is touching uh, the air around us and is uh, yeah, responsive to the signals that can be picked up in that part of the environment our body is measuring. So yes, it's all important, but there's just so much interaction. We've got this deep innovation in our guts to continually uh, get a sample of what's going on there. We've got patches of our, our immune system, lymphatic patches, patches that are continually uh, testing the uh, microbiome there to then pass on a message to the rest of the immune system to say all is good or potentially to say the very opposite and so we've got these species that not only uh, irritating or soothing various physical structures, but they're also manufacturing chemicals. They're manufacturing nutrients or, or metabolites that may enhance certain processes, equally metabolites that may even interfere with mitochondrial function. They're producing neurotransmitters and they are having just the most incredible an almost undefinable impact across this huge range of body systems. It's no surprise, therefore, that we can easily get a bit obsessed with it. <laughs> Obviously, uh, yeah, we do see a little tendency of people in my sphere to wax a little lyrical on it's all gut. You are what you are. You know, it all starts in the gut. Hippocrates said so, and he wouldn't be wrong. Um, it's not a slight on Hippocrates, by the way. <laughs> um, but, but what it is a, um, a, a, a slight on is this idea that, right, gut, 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 gut. Let's, let's fix your gut. Because obviously there's, there's so many more uh, books, research articles, and so much more of an accumulated knowledge base on how powerful this thing is. So of course we're piling in with the probiotic to prebiotics, the enzymes and the, the, the glutamine, the butyrate, the, the cholagogs and the things that help stimulate bile acid release, the, the things that soothe or improve uh, gut lining, the marshmallow, the gamma-arisenol, the, the aloe and all. There's so many different things that we can take a look at to, 
to try and alter what's going on there. And all of them have a very coherent place in this. All of them are, are very, very sensible ideas. But, you knew there was going to be a but. <laughs> what if we are subject to a massive imbalance in the, the microbiome? Well, are probiotics going to work? This is the thing, they're a great idea, but what if they're not going to work? Well, let's consider what, what needs to happen for them to work. They need to colonize. Okay, based on the existing uh, activity in the cells lining the gut, based on the current capacity of the immune system to kill off the bad guys and allow a bit of space to colonize. Uh, based on the antimicrobial control of the bile and therefore the amount of bile that's actually being released, which as various research shows us, you just can't expect in a stressed state. Based on all these potential limitations, do we have a realistic chance of changing the situations there? Or are we just going to end up, like a lot of people do, chasing the perfect SIBO protocol? Or you know, looking high and low for the right probiotic. And you think, well, sometimes you've tried 33 different strains. None of them have worked. Maybe there's something that's stopping this strain from doing what we want it to do in your gut. And let's actually have a discussion on what that obstacle is. And let's use uh, that case history. Let's use the the assessment of what's going on right now. Let's use the data, which hopefully is, is a, a reasonable amount coming from the organic acids test or the, the other tests that we mentioned. Let's actually put that together and work out, okay, of the mechanisms that we know to be possibly uh, playing a role here, what's the most likely? Let's start with that. Do you know what, a lot of the time, we suddenly get movement. Sometimes we don't, in which case, well, let's look at the other areas, but it starts to become a methodical process working backwards from the, the point at which something isn't working. Let's work backwards from there. Another short answer, I know. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Yeah, that, that does, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, what they call it, like reverse engineering um yeah, i've never known how to describe how i think because it's just that that happens for me um uh, i just try and filter it into words that make sense but that sounds like a good way of uh, summarizing it but uh, yeah i always feel like there's so many teams and so many camps on the best way to or the best test for when i think well why don't we just take an engineering perspective of what do we all agree on there's a point at which we all agree. Um, and then let's work back of, well, there's only three things that have been identified to, to cause this problem in humans. Okay, so it's gonna be one of those three, but then what's the root cause behind that root cause? Okay, well, there's six potentially here. And of course, you can then end up getting a little bit cross-eyed with what's now 3,200 potential starting points. But if you eliminate almost all of them, well then maybe you're only starting with four. And yeah. now to know that 
we've got an opportunity to solve this chronic issue that's plagued somebody for 16 years and then it's almost certainly going to be one of these four things what a wonderful place to begin absolutely yeah so finally what i'd like to ask is what would you say are the fundamentals for tests which people should have on their on their list to see what the standing point is like what is what, what is their baseline level of where they are with everything in their overall health? Um, it, it's difficult for one in the sense that, I mean, I can certainly share what's been the single most useful tests for the population that I work with. Right. But even then, um, it will be a slightly different range if I'm working with athletes versus if I'm working with individuals with complex uh, intractable metabolic issues mm. um, but yeah the, the majority is the, the metabolic stuff and so I generally invite people to come in and and take a range of tests full blood count thyroid panel steroid hormones um, and yeah equally vitamin D panel looking at the vitamin D pathway not just vitamin D in storage um, and probably porphyrins I'll start with those as the uh, test that I will invite people to take, and I will insist on one, which is the organic acid test. Mm. So that's what people will undertake before they come and see me for the first consultation. And a lot of people do ask me, why no stool test? And, and, and we'll touch on that. I think it's a really useful test, by the way. I think that it's one of those tests that can generate really rich and actionable information. But equally, at the start, when someone's in the midst of metabolic chaos, they're very much in the middle of a storm. We have so few options to actually make any difference in uh, the the minutiae within the gut our best bet is actually permitting some sort of energy availability for that system uh, allowing some basic function and then seeing once we've got a little bit of movement once we're halfway towards having a fair chance of assessing well maybe now is a an interesting time to start seeing where does that leave the, the situation in the gut at uh, but yeah, so those are those are the tests that I would um, I often find thoroughly useful to give us a snapshot. But it is the organic acid test. That's the one that I would absolutely not. I don't see people without having that just because it saves so much time, effort and money. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah. How, to, to someone with multiple shortages affecting their mitochondrial function. Let's say they need carnitine and B12 and B1 and CoQ10. Now, that's not most people, but it's certainly some people. Yeah. Well, I could give them two out of those four, and we wouldn't see the shift to indicate that we have given uh, the, the, the mitochondria the nutrients that it's called for. In other words, we could so easily come to false conclusions of, well, you know, we, we tried the CoQ10, didn't do a thing. Uh, we've tried the beta, that didn't do anything. Oh, uh, I guess we need to look elsewhere. When in reality, all we needed to do was provide the full fulcrum, remove all of the obstacles to that mitochondrial function, which maybe in their case was all four things. It's when all of those pegs 
are removed from the ropes that are holding them down, then they can get going instead of removing one peg, putting it back in, <laughs> get out the next peg, putting it back in. Well, they never get to a point where they're free to move. They're always held down. So hence the reason why I insist on the organic acids test. Um, uh, yeah. How would they do that test? So that's something that needs to be ordered by practitioners, but right. almost every practitioner, nutritional therapist or otherwise, will have some connection with labs that can run a test of that type. Well, do, do you have some information which you could provide where they can... So anyone who's coming to see me, um, then yes, uh, then if they email me, mm-hmm. you'll find all my contact details at www marrickdoyle.com and uh yeah there's a little bar on the right side of most pages that invites you to get in touch just fill out your details um and yeah very brief breakdown of what you're interested in achieving at mm. uh, which point i can send you the new starter guide which should be a reasonable breakdown of my philosophy on how I would go about things and the order of play. And yes, we'll get you that organic acids test ordered. We'll arrange the, uh, the, the, the first appointment. And then suddenly we get going and we start doing things. And uh, yeah, we, we start working towards achieving what you want to achieve. That sounds really amazing. In fact, I think I would definitely like to get one done myself. Get involved. Yeah, let's yeah. make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I've done quite a few tests and um, I've I done one recently. and I don't even want to mention it just yet because I want to do this as a separate podcast. But I've I done a, uh, I've done an epigenetics test, but I've also done a, a uh, what's it called? Glycon, glycon test. And um, I don't know much about glycans and how it works on the body, but um, that test came out completely different to my epigenetics age test. Um, completely different. Uh, so, yeah, have you heard of glycan? No, it's not something that I've ever looked into. So, yeah, definitely send me some information and I'll yeah, absolutely. go uh, dig in and see uh, what that throws up. Yeah, um, I, I'm still not fully in, 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 in I'm, I'm not in full understanding of how it works exactly. So I definitely need a consultation myself and, you know, a brief walkthrough. But it's, a, it's another type of way which they use to measure how your body is just responding to the environment to calculate your, your age. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's direct. It's not direct on like, um, what do they call it? Methylation. Okay. It's, it's it's another type of thing um yeah the result was completely different you know in the opposite direction my epigenetics one was good this was not so good but i'll do another podcast on that but well, um sounds like there's some uh, interesting data to unpack in that and yeah it's yeah not an area that i've uh, gone into or encountered in my various journeys in metabolic land so yeah i would uh, happily get more info on that yeah yeah I'll, I'll send you something i'll email something across i've also done like a microbiome test to you know understand the economy and what is happening there and um you know i think one of the things that opened my mind or opened my eyes was just how you might have your own type of superfood sure. you know which is not really considered as a, su- a superfood but it's your it's your 
personal microbiome. So to you, you take this, this is your superfood. So I find that quite fascinating, really. Um, and, you know, just how the economy can change every, uh, they, they suggest to uh, take a test every 90 days or so often. Um, you know, because you might even have a, an intolerance to a certain type of food, but that can change. So, um, you know, when you follow a certain protocol of um, eating. Um, yeah, and lots of different uh, genetic tests I've taken where you can even learn about your uh, personality traits. I'm like, as, as to the, the depth of the validity of that, I couldn't tell you. I'm not a scientist. I just well, yeah, tell. I think it's always a really interesting territory of looking at um, activity levels of enzymes, which we know may contribute to your responses in certain environments and therefore may uh, increase the likelihood of you demonstrating certain personality traits. But mm -hmm. yeah, they don't make anything inevitable. So I uh, know I do yeah. think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This determinism. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what others? Um, even a DEXA scan, understanding, because, you know, a lot of people, they, 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 they can just, they tend to see, all right, you know, uh, on a subcutaneous level, uh, what a person's uh, fat level might be. I remember I used to use a skin caliper. Oh, uh, yeah. Competing on the stage, I'd be using the skin caliper. Uh, and um, somebody suggested, hey, have you thought about a DEXA scan? And I was like, what is that? Because I, I wasn't familiar with that. And they said, yeah, it's a, you know, it's an actual scan to find out like your full body fat level <clears throat> on, in, in more depth, in more depth. And uh, that's when I started to understand about visceral fat because I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> it's like visceral. Uh, what, so you can't see it. <laughs> uh, but I understood in some cases, like if your waistline is really pushed out, Mm -hmm. then um, that's an indication that visceral fat could be pretty heavy. Um, and that was quite fascinating for me, really, you know, learning about a bit more about bone density and how resistance training could help to improve and strengthen your bones and, um, you know, fat-free mass and, and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, as you start to tie all these things over, and now me learning about this uh, organics, uh, organic acid test, I'm thinking, wow, I should have done that ages ago. Oh, it's going to be a really interesting one to see, yeah, not only obviously what it tells, but how that relates to patterns you notice and, yeah, uh, various things you've done in regards to, to diet, supplementation, lifestyle. It's gonna be fascinating to see what it tells us. And the beautiful thing is when you measure these, these markers that obviously intertwine into various different organ systems and functions across the body, you've got this whistle-stop tour of all these areas. And I've never had a single test whereby it's come back and I said, oh, cool, everything's <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. So, and that's even people who are feeling good. Um, so, you know, my athletes, for example, they're generally feeling good, strong. Their output is great. But they're also testing various pathways and placing a higher than 
normal strain on those. So of course we're going to start to see subtle signs. And yeah, so that's why, uh, yeah, the information tells us what it tells us, that there is something not quite optimal in this particular pathway. It doesn't mean that out of range markers mean, oh, you know, you're, you're an awful shape internally. Not at all. It just tells us where right now are you likely to respond to uh, additional supports? Which pathways may be inhibited by certain obstacles or shortages or, or additional loads? So yeah, regardless of where you're actually at, the more important question is what's going to be key for you to tweak out uh, a little bit more or in the case of those individuals that I work with a lot to change the whole uh, direction of, of your of your trajectory so mm -hmm. yeah it, it's fascinating that no matter who you are no matter where you're at it's the sort of test that is likely to generate well very interesting stuff but also usable stuff that can make an actual difference yeah. when of course applied intelligently that's it <laughs> Thank you very much, Marek. I really appreciate your time today. So much, so much. These to, things to too. My guest, I kind of like these things. So uh, a tad. Yeah, not much of a burden for me to uh, <laughs> go deep. Where can everybody find you on, um, on, on the internet? Where are you? So I'm really only at two places. One's my website, marrickdoyle.com. So yeah, there's articles on there. And the beautiful thing is I agree with everything <laughs> within those articles. So that's, that's a nice starting point. Uh, <laughs> equally, I have recently joined the crew. I've submitted to the, uh, the tyranny of Instagram so <laughs> on Marrick Doyle Nutrition. So uh, yeah, come, come join the... Uh, underwhelming gang of followers there and uh yeah see if i can get anywhere near roger's level so uh yeah that will be uh the other place okay. you'll get there man you'll get there and hopefully uh the help optimization summit will be taking place this year well yeah i think we all hope so and, yeah uh, yeah guess and that's uh... perfect moment when we're forced to recognize how little power we have in certain areas and uh yeah, not something I've ever been particularly good at. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're going to be forced to acknowledge that come on, mate. But yeah, I really hope that that's, that's going ahead. So, Would you be speaking at the summit at all? I haven't spoken to Tim about that yet. I spoke last year. Um, so I uh, spoke about the adrenal immune cycle and how, yeah, so many of the, the things that we touched on briefly with uh, that inability of, the adrenals to work overtime when asked to do so can spill over into immune activity which then ruins energy which then culminates in this self-perpetuating cycle that is largely resistant yes. to the usual approaches so i covered that last year so uh yeah i'm sure i'll catch up with tim sooner or later and, that'd be uh, amazing that'd be amazing and if you are again there this year i definitely want to see you so uh thanks again absolutely amazing you've taught me so much i'm getting some more tests done <laughs> every day is a school day that's it thanks again man okay thanks roger i'll speak to you soon speak soon take care thank you for tuning in today's episode 
Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips. So always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes will not only provide you with the best services, but will help out the podcast too. So thank you. If you do like the Roger Snipe Show podcasts, then why not give it a review? A five star would be awesome, but some great feedback on what you liked about the show or what you would have liked to hear would be helpful too. Until next time.